You're listening to WDW Tales, a glimpse of the Central Florida theme parks from a cast member's perspective. WDW Tales, behind the name tag. And now your host, Justin Stone. everyone welcome back to wdw tales i'm your host justin stone now today what i was planning to do was to talk about a specific attraction in a theme park that i worked at but the more i think about it the more i would rather just talk about the park today uh, so this park is absolutely my favorite or was my favorite before all the changes happened but it was something that's really close to me i spent a lot of time here as a cast member and have so many stories to tell from a lot of uh, great times when i was a kid a theme park made of memories ladies and gentlemen disney mgm studios So I think it's important, to, before we get into all this, is just to talk a little bit about the Great Movie Ride. Now, I am going to follow up with a lot of Great Movie Ride uh, experiences and stories just because I spent such a vast amount of time there, as well as other positions in the studios. Uh, but I think it's important just to talk a little bit about the Great Movie Ride because that was the reason that the studios were, were were developed is because of this this ride um, so it should actually mean a lot to everybody not just me personally so i'm not even sure where to start with the great movie ride not only was it such a a key part of my life as i was growing up but it's almost um it's almost familial in that not only did I work at the Great Movie Ride, but my sister opened the Great Movie Ride on the college program. She was one of the very first bandits. It was the park opened. She uh, came down from, from college and worked on the college program as, uh, as a uh, cast member at the Great Movie Ride, opening it up as, the, as Disney MGM Studios was opening up in May of 1989. Uh, and and through her relationship with the ride and all the people she met, it actually kind of translated to me. So a lot of her friends, even though she's, I wouldn't say considerably older than me, but she's older than me, uh, all of her friends uh, who she met through the Great Movie Ride are, are all great friends. And, and because I was uh, her brother and, uh, and 
uh, you know, hung out with them outside the ride because I was way past when they started. I, I've kind of become their friends too because we can also talk about all the, the things that happened at the ride. Of course, they're years apart from each other, but still, there's there's a sense of connection there. And I think that's a, a big thing about the Great Movie Ride is the people who work there have this unbelievable sense of connection. And, and I don't know if it's because it's a spieling attraction and it takes a certain breed to get up and do a 22-minute show, sometimes 10, 15 times a day, or or what, but it's really uh, it was really one of the closest kind of familial attractions that I ever worked at. So uh, I, I will probably do a lot of different episodes on The Great Movie Ride, but I thought for today's episode we will get started in that uh, how I got there, what the ride is like, what the ride used to be like, and what of a ugly mess it is today. Uh, but we'll save that for later. And let's just talk about... Uh, a little bit of background on the ride, like I did with Journey to Imagination, and then I'll tell you some of the secrets and some of the fun pieces. Uh, but again, I have a feeling this is going to be uh, a lot of, the great movie art is going to be a lot of posts, just because I spent so much time there, 96 to 2002. So lots happened during that time. And uh, I did a little bit of growing too. So let's talk about the ride. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the, the lineage or the background of the Great Movie Ride, uh, if it is, if you do, fast forward, but I will, I'll quickly get into this, but uh, Great Movie Ride was actually not supposed to be in Disney MGM Studios. In fact, there wasn't supposed to be a Disney MGM Studios. And let me just preface something for a minute. I'm old school, so you won't hear me say Disney's Hollywood Studios a lot. I'll say Disney MGM Studios because I'm old school. I get it. There's a new name. It's dumb and we should have gone back to MGM, and I get why they couldn't do it, blah, 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 blah. But from here on out, Disney, MGM Studios, MGM Studios, the studios, that's what I'll be referring them to until we get to the name change. Still with me? Cool. So here's what we did, or here's what I know of. You're probably all familiar with Michael Eisner. So Michael Eisner was uh, the ch this chief executive officer of the Walt Disney Company uh, in the... Uh, mid to late 80s and 90s where he basically pulled Disney out of a tailspin uh, in that they were just no longer making money and they had a lot of different subsidiaries and, and not a lot of creative firepower from outside the parks. Uh, you know, they had a fledgling uh, movie studio and uh, they're buying ABC or Cap Cities. So he was the one who really brought that around and kind of promoted this synergy, this corporate synergy. You know, it was all about theme parks helps merchandise and merchandise helps movies and movies helps theme parks and, and all of that stuff. So the, I, the Imagineers were kicking around in new ideas for a, uh, an attraction at Disney world that would be uh, great moments in the movies. So they would take snippets of the movies of yesteryear and give you a full experience that, uh, that hasn't, has never been done before. And they were going to call it uh, Great Moments in the Movies, and they were going to put it in between Journey and Imagination and the land. So if you were to go where the make a right and go where the bathrooms are at Journey and Imagination, that's where it was going to be shoehorned in. So Michael Eisner basically said, I love the idea, but instead of putting it in Epcot, which is all about education and exploration, as it was at the time, he said, 
what if you guys built a theme park around this ride? We would put this ride, this would be the marquee attraction in a whole new theme park dedicated to movies and production and all the Hollywood stuff that people love to see but don't have access to. And in fact, we could actually build a working studios around uh, this attraction as well. Now, there was a little bit more than just his his vision for or his want for having a, a theme park. Universal Studios, uh, which was huge in L.A. as a working studio and a theme park, had broken ground on Universal Studios Florida just up the road. And so Eisner saw the, the, uh, the value uh, of what they were doing and raced to beat them to their, at their own game. So he said to Imagineers, why don't you guys think about how we could build our own studios and we could also make it a theme park for everyone to, to enjoy. And so the uh, Imagineers got together and they knocked out some ideas and lo and behold, in, in May of 1989, the Disney MGM Studios was born. And what I love about the studios is that it is a it's a interpretation of Hollywood in a time that never was. And what I mean by that is that it's just it's like the Imagineers got into everybody's head and said, when you envision the studios, what do you think? And people thought about the golden age of Hollywood and the glitz and the glamour and opportunity for anyone and everyone who who wanted to, to take a shot in the arts and so the color scheme is very vivid and it's got that older feel to it but that older romantic Hollywood feel now of course we know that the Hollywood in its heyday was pretty uh, pretty sketchy place a lot of different things uh, that you would learn about some of the famous actors who you thought were so so pure and studios that were so pure um, actually did some pretty pretty sketchy things. So it didn't stop Disney, though, to say, like, people have this vision of what Hollywood and movie making is like, and we wanted to bring that to you. We wanted you to experience that. We want you to, you to find that passion that you have and, and enjoy it. And that was really evident when they opened up Sunset Boulevard in 1994-ish, by really playing off the 1940s Hollywood, it was almost like um, it wasn't so much like a Hollywood. St- it wasn't like a studio per se. It was more like that time, that era, and living that time. I mean, there was Rosie's Red Hots, and of course, there's the tower at the end of the, the street. Rock and Roller Coaster is at the wrong place, a completely wrong place that was shoehorned in later. But you listen to the sight and sound, and you hear the music, and the actors come out, and they're dressed in period clothes, and they, you know, they. They act like that's the time and their old cars out. So it just really gave off this amazing sense of going back in time and reliving something that everybody hoped would be real but wasn't. Just like movies themselves, right? It's a it's a perspective that is put on you in hopes that you will connect with it. And that's what I really love about how the Imagineers really went about building Disney MGM Studios. So let's talk about uh, the Backlot Tours. So as I mentioned before, Backlot Tours used to be a really long show. When the park first opened, the intention was never for guests to basically walk down Streets of America, or what was called New York Street at the time. That was supposed to be strictly for filming, just like how Universal in Hollywood does their tram tour. You get to drive on set, but you never get to really walk on set. So what you do is 
where the animation courtyard is or where the Star Wars launch bay is now, you would walk through that gigantic Art Deco looking building and board the trams. And so that's the shuttles. The shuttles would take you uh, around in a, in a host, live host would talk to you about some of the things that you're seeing. So the first thing that you would see uh, would be uh, New York Street. I'm sorry, not New York Street. The first thing you would see is Residential Street. And Residential Street looked like your average uh, suburban um, home, you know, a road where there are a lot of uh, homes and set up. But of course, those were facades. The most famous facade was the Golden Girl set that they used from 89 to 91, I think, around that for establishing shots. And then right next to that was the home from the TV show Empty Nest. I don't know if you remember that show that was a spin-off of the Golden Girls that starred Richard Mulligan. And he was a doctor. It was a very popular show in the late 80s, early 90s. There was also the New Leave at Beaver House. Um, and there was uh, also the ice cream diner or the diner shop from the movie The Rocketeer, which was rebuilt later on for the tour specifically. So you'd go through and the guests uh, would look at all the facades and you'd go back and you'd see that the, there, there weren't any houses built when you looked behind the facades, it was just the front of them, and we talked about force perspective and and all that stuff. And then what you would do is you would basically pull into New York Street, and New York Street would have a mock film crew up there with cars and cameras and lights and, and actors to make it feel like there's something filming going on. So you look at the facades there, and we talk about force perspective. You might hear some sights and sounds going on. And then what you would do is go through, and I don't remember the order, so this might be wrong, but you would go through what's called, called the costuming tunnel and the production tunnel, and that actually stuck around for a really long time. They just ripped it down. But you would drive through, and you would see all the um, seamstresses and uh, costuming people working on either movie costumes or TV costumes, whatever was in production at the time, or even parks stuff. So you might see some parade uh, things being worked on. And then you would get into scenic and set design, and you would see all the carpentry being built and all the video production happening as well. So from there, you would then actually go through the last part of the shuttle, uh, which um, the shuttle tour, which is Catastrophe Canyon, and that was to simulate this whole uh, you know set uh, of um, disaster. You know, you'd, you'd, the tram would lock in place and it would start to shake, and then the then you were in this basically a big scene where there was the Mojave Oil Company. It was a big semi-truck. It was up on top of a ridge, and then water would pour down, and the truck would catch on fire, and you'd get this deluge of water everywhere and shakes. It was this whole crazy disaster that was supposed to happen to kind of mimic disaster movies, I guess you could say. And lastly, as you're pulling around, then you would see the Boneyard, and the Boneyard was all old cars and set pieces from old Disney movies that uh, were kind of left out for you to see. So there was a skiff from Star Wars. There was a helicopter from a movie called Blue Thunder. There was actually one of the uh, set pieces from the Ride Horizons from Epcot. A lot of different vehicles from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. There was the Dipmobile, Flight of the Navigator, if you remember that, the spaceship from that. Later on, there were some things from the movie Armageddon and um, Pearl Harbor, so more pushing Disney movies. Uh, but that was much later on. So the shuttle tour would end, and you'd have a little break, and you would have uh, a chance to get some food, and that's what the studio catering company used to be. So if you remember, which is now gone, but Honey, I Shrunk the Kids playset, in between that and in between the, 
like the bathrooms and there used to be a giant Coca-Cola bottle. There used to be the studio catering company where you could get some kind of foods, but nothing like burgers or anything like that. You could get a quick bite to eat and then they would take you into the sound stage. Sound stages, there were three of them in what was later deemed backstage pass. But you would go through and you'd learn about blue screen technology. You would hop on a giant bee from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and they would film you. And then you would also go to the water tank and that's where we talked about more blue screen where uh, you would basically uh, they would select some folks out of the audience and dress them up like sailors put them in the, a mock-up uh, uh, cockpit of a boat and then have all this water crushed down on you and again show you all the different scenes of uh, how it's all put together to make a movie how to make it look real and, and then lastly you would go into this really cool sound stage where they had all these old set pieces kind of from the floor to the ceiling and you would um, see this interior shot of a movie called The Lottery and The Lottery starred Bette Midler because Bette Midler was huge in the late 80s early 90s so she filmed this movie completely at the studios about her she was a piano teacher or singing teacher I don't remember but she got a winning lottery ticket but then lost the lottery ticket and went on this crazy adventure to get the lottery ticket back and uh, and it was all filmed at the studio, so you could see all the different places in the studios, and they showed it all put together, and then that's the film, uh, you know, that you watched. So that was probably the, the second marquee behind the great movie ride in terms of attractions. So some of the other things that were in there or came a little bit later was Indiana Jones stunt show. Star Tours showed up um, later in the year, I think just at the end of the year. There used to be a show called Here Come the Muppets, which was a stage show, which, which then uh, was replaced by uh, Muppet Vision 3D. There was a Dick Tracy show, so a lot of it was more built on entertainment than attractions, uh, but uh, it, it proved pretty well. Like, it proved out pretty well, and folks were wanting to see more of it, but the park really wasn't able to contain a lot of people, and so some changes were quickly quickly made. New York Street was opened up for people to go and walk around. Um, we, as I mentioned, some more attractions showed up. Um, then as, as there was a more of a need for, uh, theme park like things, uh, a lot of the production pieces started to get, uh, closed down and, uh, most namely we're used to board the shuttles. Uh, the shuttles were broken up. What is now the shuttle tour and then the, uh, the backstage tour, those were broken up into different uh, tours so for people wouldn't do have to sit for two and a half hours and then it would essentially add another attraction uh, there was a a restaurant in animation courtyard that was built on this basically on the set of a movie called big business which starred bet midler and lily tomlin that was shut down as well as the catwalk bar which was a bar up in the catwalk 
that was shut down for a Playhouse Disney and Bear in the Big Blue House and and more Disney animated things and uh, the Little Mermaid, the Voyage of the Little Mermaid stage show came in. That also was a uh, a new piece, and then of course in 1994 ish, Sunset Boulevard opened up, and once Sunset Boulevard opened up, it expanded. Uh, the the breadth and the capabilities and capacity of the park by adding, of course, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, one of my absolute favorite rides. And then later on, uh, Rock and Roller Coaster starring, to date, Aerosmith. Not sure if they're sticking around, but whatever. Um, all of these attractions I have so many stories about and, and park, more park-specific stories to tell. So I want to make sure that I do have an opportunity to tell that. And I promise that I'll do those at a later date. Uh, there are a couple other things actually just about the park I wanted to talk about because I, I love this park, guys. It's so underrated and there's so many haters. And I think I love that, first of all, that there's so many people that hate the park. Then just, you don't have to go. But uh, the, the other things that I love about the park was it originally was supposed to have Roger Rabbit as the the kind of marquee character because Who Framed Roger Rabbit had just come out around that time Uh, and so everything way back in the day was branded Roger Rabbit sad that it didn't take off the way it did but uh, it was it was uh, you know it's just a character that I like I like the movie a lot and so I I was hoping to see more of it but it kind of faded away Um, but then the other things like the nooks and crannies around this park were so good that most people didn't take time to pay attention to. Leaving the Great Movie Ride Courtyard alone for a second, there were these hidden gems. Like, if you don't know... Well, everyone knows the big uh, the big dinosaur uh, ice cream shop at Echo Lake, and that's Gertie's Ice Cream. And uh, probably a good many people, Disney fans, know this, but maybe they don't. But, like, Gertie was the first anthropomorphized character cartoon character ever so it's cool that they that disney had um, given a little tribute to that because that basically kicked off a lot of the anthropomorphized characters like mickey mouse donald duck goofy all that stuff so they gave a little bit of a of a little bit of a nod and then also around there is up in the windows you can see the hyperion studios the first studios that the disney brothers had in in california there's a little nod to that um there used to be the Monster Sound Show, and basically that talked all about Foley. And Foley is how you how you make sounds in movies sound more realistic. So a lot of times the cameras won't pick up the sounds on the set, so they have to go and they have to overdub that in a soundstage later on. So like people walking and all that stuff. But as you exited the show, there used to be these booths, and these booths, uh, you would go sit in one, and it'd be totally dark, and you'd put headphones on, and it would uh, use binaural sound to make you feel like you're really there. So this whole st- was uh, this whole story was about R.J. McBean, and R.J. McBean was a new movie studio executive, and he had his own office, and and he had to come up with ideas. Um, and so he's listening to directors pitch him ideas while he gets his hair cut, and you can hear the scissors cut the hair next to your ear, and someone opens an ice cold soda, and you can hear the fizz. And then uh, Mickey Mouse comes in to say hello, and you can hear his heavy stomp, stomping on the floor. And he flicks, he puts his uh, ears on your head, and he flicks the ears. It's those little things that made this park so amazing. 
I mean, there are there are hidden gems all around Walt Disney World, but these were these were so themed so perfectly. They were done so well that you didn't you didn't if you didn't see them, you didn't miss them. But if you saw them or experienced them, you appreciated them. And you appreciate appreciated the detail that these Imagineers went into building this park. I mean, these Imagineers had carte blanche to do whatever they wanted with this park. And so all around the park, there are these like little hidden gems, things like when the, in the back by, there used to be a big arch at the end of New York street. And next to that, there used to be the Zepmobile or the Dipmobile from who framed Roger Rabbit. And then inside there was a shop where one of the tours got out and in that shop, there's all these gags, you know, these cartoon gags that were practical. Like there was uh, one of the um, the steamrollers, pavement rollers, uh, like a construction one, and you could like lay underneath it and have your picture taken. It looks like you're getting rolled over, you know, run over. Or if you looked up top, there were you know boxes full of gags, you know, cartoon gags, and there were you know anvils that said 1000 pounds and they were being held up by a little you know bird or they're being held up by a tiny piece of string ready to fall at any moment like these are the things that really made the studios it wasn't the rides i mean we'll talk about the great movie ride but it wasn't about uh it wasn't about the rides it was the experience of the of the studios itself so um wow i've really I've really gone on about the park and not so much about the movie ride. So if you'll permit me, I think I'll just stick with the studios for this episode. I mean, we're, we're kind of getting into a, a pretty good groove about talking about the studio. So let's keep with that. And I promise I will follow up quickly with a great movie ride story because there will be a lot, gang. Uh, so continuing on with the studios... Let's talk about some backstage areas. Uh, first and foremost, when I started at uh, the Great Movie Ride, when I started at the studios, there used to be way back, I'd say behind, behind where Star Wars, the new Star Wars launch bay entrance is, back there, there used to be costuming. And if you recall from one of my previous episodes, I talked about walk times. So you'd get 20 minutes to leave your attraction or your job and get to costuming to get changed and go home. So costuming, if you walked in, you walked to the right and it was like attractions and you walked to the left and it was merchandise and food service and uh, and custodial park services. And so when you walked into the right as an attraction, you always kind of felt like hot shit. You're like, yeah. I'm in attractions. What's up? This is cool. Gonna go work. Gonna go work my attraction. Gonna go put some people on some rides. Gonna tell them to stand and watch their step. Yeah, that's my gig. That's what I'm gonna do. But it was a, it was kind of like a a thing, you know. And uh, what was cool about that area is that all the costumes for all the shows and and attractions and merchandise locations and food service locations they were all and contained in this area and it wasn't really a big area so a lot of the costumes were built up like a lot of the racks were built upwards so the costuming people would have to use this hook to get stuff down so fast forward one day I come into work and uh, 
thankfully, well, I come into work and, and you, everyone had a locker and you usually had your locker for the day. Like you didn't get to keep the locker, but you could lock up your stuff. And I, for some reason, kept the locker and I went, I last, last, when I last left, I switched out my costume and I just threw it in my locker. It was my gangster costume and for the great movie ride. And I threw it in there because I didn't want to wait in line to get the next one. I'm like, I'll just totally steal this locker and whatever. So I come in and there's this huge line and people are kind of standing around and I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, oh yeah, costuming collapsed. Costuming collapsed. All those those speed rails that handled all the costumes that were built way up into the ceiling, I'm talking like maybe 20 feet, 30 feet, it was too much weight and the whole thing just collapsed into a big, a big pile of clothes. Now, no one was hurt that I know of, but you couldn't get your costumes. And so for like a ride like the movie ride that has like 80 people working during the day and you had to go through costuming to get your costume. This is before what they call cast zooming where you took your costume home. This was still like you had to get your costume at costuming. No one could get their costumes. Uh, and so it was really bad. And the problem was, is we were, th- you know, there was, there were themed pieces for the great movie ride. I mean, cowboys had to be cowboys and, and we had to be gangsters from the thirties at the twenties. And uh, you had to get those clothes. So, like, we... And uh, Tower was the other big one. Tower was, like, massively themed. So those two attractions had to... uh, Had priorities. So the costuming people had to scramble and, like, go through all these clothes and try and find banded outfits that fit and and gangster outfits that fit and hats. and, And this is before we had to wear the spats on the shoes. And so they didn't have to do that, but... You know, so you had to find a pair of gangster pants that fit, a shirt, a holster, if you didn't keep your own, a hat, a tie, uh, a jacket, um, you know, and then do the same thing for, for the Cowboys. So this was the compromise. So all the tour guides that day had to wear blue smocks. They had to wear like their regular everyday clothes or they had to wear whatever like enter- entertainment had what were called blues and blues are like black workout shorts and like a white t-shirt so if you like get out of your costume and you need to go get food you wear your blues your cast blues so so the tour guide and the greeter cast members would wear those with a blue smock over them and host the show like that and we we're like this is insane this is the strangest looking thing I, I wish i had some pictures i probably do somewhere uh but it was always funny popping up and and gangster and ad-libbing a couple lines about you know people's bathrobes or they looked like they were going they're painters and uh, really just going off book and having some fun with it because costuming pretty much collapsed there was there's no costuming now later on in the years they actually moved costuming over to the other side of the park behind indiana jones and it's this massive warehouse where you actually go and pick out your costume and then bring it up almost like a cast register up front and they scan it out and uh and you take it home with you so if you ever have to change, if you, if you move to a different position during the day or different different area, you can go switch out your costume quickly and get changed. But they did away with the whole walking, the walk time, and basically said, show up to work in your costume. I think it's terrible. It's totally out of theme. Totally ruins the magic. Wildly stupid, but I don't get to make that distinction. Some other pieces that are backstage, uh, well, actually I should just preface, were backstage because it's all being torn down now is uh, there were these bungalows. And so these bungalows were just like you would if if you would go to a major movie studio. Movie studios will rent out office space. So for production companies, for writers, most 
big production companies or independent production companies have office space on the lot, on a studio lot, because that's just, uh, you know, they're in the biz. So that's where they, that's where they work. So the studios, I think had about 12 of them and they were these tiny little bungalows and they were stacked up just behind the, the tunnel of the backlot tour tunnel, costuming tunnel where, um, production companies would rent out and I remember the team from Haxon who did the Blair Witch Project some friends I knew some friends of theirs we were all in a in a stage show together they were the Blair Witch Project had just taken off it was huge and they were doing the DVD extras and they wanted to film some stuff I don't even know if it ever made it through but they needed people to pretend to audition and so we went into the bungalow and like they put the camera up and you know he had to like do this whole my name is this and this is who I'm auditioning for and then like pretend to ad lib and all all that stuff but uh, there were some other some other cool bungalows there Disney Ideas was there and Ideas was I-D-E-A-S I don't remember what it stood for but they were a post-production studio so it was like a full AV studio so production companies would um, basically contract Disney ideas to do all the post-production and there is some of ideas left I know some people that are working there that's no longer ideas and it's no longer at the studios they've moved but the I think the gig is still there um as well as some of the other other big things the animation building I remember when that was put up and that's when Hercules and Mulan came out and there was this big push to make animation happen at the studios and both of those movies just bombed completely and and Disney took a different direction in terms of animation. So that building was cleared out. And I don't know what's there now. It's probably just office space. Uh, and I don't know how much of this stuff is actually going to s- stick around just because of all the construction that's going on. But, uh, you know, there was the Earful Tower way back then. That's gone. And Scenic's gone. And Cast, uh, the, the costuming tunnel is now gone. Residential Street's long gone. When Lights Motor Action showed up. Um, so it's a little sad, you know, the state of the studios today is sad. Now, I, the, I, I know people out there love what's going on with Star Wars and Pixar and, and all that stuff. I'm old school and I am resistant to change, I guess you could say. So it bums me out. I have all these great memories of working in the studios, so many memories, and to watch it all just be torn down for the stuff that's crammed down your throat incessantly through merchandise and spinoffs and spinoffs of spinoffs and more merchandise and popcorn buckets it's just it grosses me out and it makes me sad because the studios isn't really a studios anymore it's just kind of a thing I guess it's kind of like what happened with Epcot it just kind of happens so it bums me out but I have to say like that was a that's a fun, fun park to work. It was neat because there were so many just little things, little things that you would find. You could definitely tell it was an Imagineers park. Like, I don't know, call me crazy, but Magic Kingdom, I never felt like as an Imagineers park. I felt like it was a recreation of Disneyland. So for the most part, there were bits and pieces that could be new or, or, more topical for the region but like then like Epcot in the early 80s like that was an Imagineers park like that was something that they they took pride in and the studios early studios I'd say like 89 to 
maybe 96, maybe about that, 97. That was an Imagineers Park. Like, that was some cool stuff going on. I mean, it was boring stuff, but maybe because I really liked the boring stuff that I cared about it so much. So I really enjoyed it, and uh, it pained me to see after I left the studios in 2002 that the movie ride went through a terrible change, horrible writing. They tried to make it like the Jungle Cruise, and it failed, and the Imagineer who wrote it is a shill. And uh, then they changed it again, and now there's more talk about changing it but we'll get into that at a later date i want to leave this post on a positive note so just next time you go try and find the little things i know that there aren't a lot left um, because of the construction is just out of control right now and so many things are, are changing but you can still try and find little nuggets of the original Disney MGM Studios if you look hard enough and those are the things that I love that I hold dear because when I worked there it it meant a lot to me and when I go back and I visit and I get to see those little those little pieces even if they don't work anymore things like sensations or the handprints outside the great movie ride or even Gertie the dinosaur like those those things remind me of when I was younger and didn't have a lot of cares in the world and just had a lot of fun in a park that was great, in a park that was um, felt like it was kind of for me. So don't just run to Rock and Roller Coaster and run to Tower of Terror and Fantasmic, but walk around where you can and see if you can find the original pieces of the studios. I know in the Backlot Express restaurant, there's still some hanging out in there. If you look hard enough, you might find some. Uh, I was going to say Ellen's by the book. There's actually a... Uh, so if you've been in there, there's a set... There's a wall that looks like a set piece, so it's not painted. You know, it looks like it's the back of a set from a soundstage. And it used to say Property of Disney Hollywood Studios everywhere. Uh, actually, before it said Property of Disney MGM Studios. And then they changed them all except for one. And uh, they kept that one there for a couple of years, and they pulled it. And you can actually see that picture on, on the WDW Tales Instagram uh, page if you wanted to see it. But, uh, yeah, that's my studios. And it'll never be the same, and I get that. And so, oh, well. But like as I said, tons of stories to tell, great stories, a lot of funny stories about the great movie ride and production coordinating and Super Soap Weekend and... Regis and Kelly tapings and storms and emergencies and a lot of uh, a lot of stories I will tell so and I promise I'll get to the great movie ride there'll be a lot of those but I I appreciate you listening to me on this one talk about the studios and uh, I didn't realize how deep I was going to go into it um, but as I talk about it it you know makes me a little sad to um, to think about those days so anyways thanks again for listening guys and uh, I'll see you next time.